Nothing Feels the Same by Joy Becker. I waddle across the sterile room and lower my eight-month pregnant self onto the edge of my dad's hospital bed. Four days earlier, my mom found him on their bedroom floor, paralyzed and speechless from a massive stroke. He has made no progress since. I lift his hand and tuck it between mine. Stephen and I are going to drive back to Ohio tonight, Dad. He nods in agreement. It's probably best if I have this baby there rather than here in Chicago, yes? It's a weak attempt at a joke. Anything to bring air into a room that was otherwise holding its breath as we waited for the next doctor's opinion. Dad smiles with half his face while the other half folds and droops. It certainly isn't going to go the way we had planned, I say to him. But I'll bring your grandbaby to Chicago as soon as I can. You get better so you can hold this baby. It is a ridiculous thing to say. You get better. As though it were up to him. As Stephen and I make the five-hour drive back from Chicago that night, I try to imagine how the next month will play out. Our first baby is due in three weeks, and the vision I have spent years creating is crumbling. I imagined my mom and dad sitting in the waiting room, nervously anticipating the news. I imagined Stephen, dressed in hospital coveralls just like in the movies, bursting into that waiting room to announce the arrival of a healthy baby. I imagined them cradling their new grandbaby and then sticking around for the next week to help wash clothes, cook meals, and hold a baby when I needed to sleep. It is clear to me now that none of this will happen. I don't know where dad will be in a month. In the hospital? in rehab, maybe home, but I'm certain he will not be in my hospital recovery room holding his grandbaby. And as for my mom, I don't worry much about where she will be when I have this baby. Surely she will be there with me. Moms don't miss that kind of thing. As my due date approaches, my mom says we will play it by ear. She will do her best to get to Ohio, but it will be hard to leave dad as long as he is in a full-time rehabilitation center. It will be impossible if he is released to come home. The week passes. My due date passes. Six more days pass. The next morning, my mom calls as we are getting ready for church. She says she will not be coming to Ohio. Dad has been cleared to come home in a few days. I have so much to do to get the house ready for him, mom explains. Her voice breaks like she is struggling to get out each word. Some men from church are coming over tomorrow to move the furniture. I need to find someone to install more railings, and the physical therapist needs to teach me how to help dad bathe and climb stairs. Oh, Joy, I cannot imagine how he is going to climb these stairs. I hear the panic in her voice. I say I understand. I say it is the best decision, and I will be okay. It isn't exactly a lie. I do understand. It is probably the best decision, and I will be okay but I still hate the whole mess. Our first baby is about to be born and we will have no family at the hospital. No family. I finish getting ready and quietly cry as we drive to church. This damn stroke messed it all up. How did this happen? Doesn't everyone have family come to the hospital when a baby is born? 24 hours later, my water breaks. As Stephen tosses bags into the car, I call my mom, hoping she might change her mind and come. She doesn't say either way, but on the drive to the hospital, when I call her again, she is packing her bag. 
I imagine her alone in her room with two Vera Bradley weekender bags open on her bed. No doubt she is talking out loud, volleying between her packing checklist and prayer. Nothing about this is easy. Anxiety and unknowns are stacked against her. Dad has always been the driver, not because mom couldn't or wouldn't, but because when the family goes somewhere, dad drives. Driving five hours in a car by yourself when your husband is in rehab and your daughter is in labor is bound to rattle anyone, but she is coming anyway. Mom arrives at the hospital just after four o'clock that afternoon. Charlotte is born at 4.35. She made it. Our family was there. Mom sits in the delivery room as I nurse Charlotte for the first time, and she calls dad so I can tell him about his granddaughter. She follows behind me as the nurse rolls me to the recovery room, and she takes my picture as I bite into a glorious Jimmy John's turkey um, sub. In true mom fashion, she comes bearing gifts. She pulls a dozen baby girl ensembles from her bag and even comes with gifts for me. Books, lip gloss, a killer orange leather purse, and a hairdryer she claims will change my life. She listens to the fresh details of the day as she holds Charlotte, and she meets our friends as they invade the hospital room with all things pink. Mom leaves the next day, arriving back to their home of 28 years, which has now been transformed to be handicap accessible. Dad is released from rehab two days later and comes home to relearn his life. Mom is now a full-time caregiver for her husband, a man who has talked her ear off for the past 40 years, but can now only utter strange sounds. Her life is a constant whirlwind of physical therapy, speech therapy, doctor's appointments, and administering prescription medicine at just the right hour of day and night. I think about my mom often during those early weeks of motherhood. Our day-to-day motions bear such a tiny resemblance to the lives we knew a month ago. We both care for someone at all hours of the day and night, stepping up when everything in us wants to sleep or cry or quit. Our love is pushed to its limits as someone else's needs soar above our own. We both question God. Am I really the best one for this job? I don't think I can do it much longer. Meals show up at both our doorsteps each day around five o'clock. Cards flood both our mailboxes, and we both know people all over the country are praying for us as we adjust to a new normal. But I can't shake the guilt that even when I want to kick and scream and whine about my new normal, I'm also flooded with joy. I asked for this child and prayed for this child, and for every moment I'm exhausted, there are two other moments I am smiling. I think about the future with excitement. What is in store for this child and our life together? But not mom. When she wants to kick, scream, and whine about her new normal, she is flooded with fear. She never asked for this stroke to paralyze dad's body and steal his speech. She is exhausted and scared, and although she never says it, she must be mad. What about her future? What is in store for dad and their life together? I waddle across Charlotte's bedroom floor and lower my three weeks postpartum self into the lazy boy recliner. A suitcase lies open on the floor, overflowing with enough outfits for a month-long getaway, even though we'll only be gone for a weekend. I pull Charlotte close and position the boppy as she begins to nurse. Well, girl, you up for your first road trip? I whisper. This isn't how we planned it, but I promised your pop-up I'd bring you to Chicago so he can hold you. The next morning, we make the five-hour drive. Dad is waiting in his wheelchair. We carefully place his swaddled-up granddaughter in the crook of his left elbow, 
and snap pictures as he smiles with only half his face. The day is beautiful and heartbreaking, and by eight o'clock that night, we're sitting silently in the living room, too tired to speak. Well, I need to get dad ready for bed, mom says as she unlocks his wheelchair and lifts his feet onto the footplates. She turns him toward the hallway. This was a big day for you, wasn't it, hon? I bet you're exhausted. I catch myself before echoing her exact words to Charlotte. Instead, I lift Charlotte from the blanket on the floor and walk behind dad's wheelchair as we all head toward the stairs. You go first, mom says to me. It still takes us a while to do this. Do you need help? I ask. Nah, we're getting the hang of it. I walk up the 15 steps to the second floor. I know it is 15 steps because I've counted them dozens of times. When you're a kid, strange things like how many steps are in your house matter. So you count and recount and ask your parents questions like if the last step up to the landing counts as an actual step. My old blue bedroom is now the guest room, still with my Kirsten and Molly American Girl dolls displayed on a shelf. Everything about this home is familiar, but nothing feels the same. I now have a daughter lying on the bed in front of me, and I can hear my mom's voice coaching dad with each shaky step. She reminds him which foot to lift first and where to place his hand on the railing. She counts down the stairs as they approach the landing. Only four more to go. Three, two, one. We did it. I hear them exhale in unison, a sound of both exhaustion and triumph. Mom pokes her head into my room as she walks by. Good night, sweet Charlotte. Thanks for coming all this way to visit your Grammy and Pop-Pop. And good night, Joy. I hope you can get some sleep tonight. She lifts her gaze away from her granddaughter to meet my eyes. Grief and joy hang heavy in the air between us. And we both know this isn't how we thought it would be. Thanks, Mom. You too. Joy, thank you so much for sharing this very heartwarming and heartbreaking piece with our community. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, no, it's just such a gift and such a vulnerable and beautiful experience that you have shared. And I'd love to give you an opportunity to share just a, a little snapshot of your family, um, where you are now, because that was a while ago when you wrote this piece, yes? Um, yeah, so my dad's stroke was in 2012. Um, okay. I, I probably about a year ago. Um, mm -hmm. It took me a while to ever get to a point where I was ready to write um, in a more formal way about my dad's stroke. I would say that yeah. the months and the years after it, I did a lot of personal journaling about it, but it wasn't until probably, I think maybe 2016 or 2017 that I actually wrote something that I ended up publishing. Um, mm -hmm. And then I've written this as well. Yeah. But and how many kids do you have now? And what is their age range? Um, I have three. So Charlotte, who was the one born right before, right after his stroke, and she is seven. Mm -hmm. And then I have Andrew, who is five, mm -hmm. and Milo, who will be two this month. So Wonderful. Well, we're so glad to have you. And uh, I just, I really love getting to know the writers who contribute to our community. So these little mom chats are a sweet way to just get to know you a little bit. And I'd love to know if you could talk to yourself as a younger mom, what would you tell her? Yeah. Oh, probably a lot of things, but um, I feel like over the past six months, there's kind of been a 
a new message that's really been laid on my heart as a mom that, that I would definitely want to sit down with my, my young mom self. Um, when I kind of think back to like, um, even when I was pregnant, I felt like there was a lot of messages coming at me about motherhood that were all in good humor, but it was kind of a message of like, get ready to be, to be kind of a mess, get ready to be tired, to be exhausted, to be stressed out, to be overwhelmed. Um, Just welcome to motherhood. And it kind Mm -hmm. of, I remember entering motherhood, just sort of assuming that that, that was it. And that's what motherhood just looked like kind of frantic and exhausted and just Mm -hmm. daily feeling stressed out. And I can see how in my early years of motherhood, I, I sort of let that message become my reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like it's really been in the last year to six months that, you know, I, I've just kind of started to speak a different message to myself and, and I can totally see the humor and, and all the silly memes mm-hmm. about, you know, like yeah. mom and, and there is some solidarity in that, but I think that I'm sort of ready for, for a different message. And I feel like if I could sit myself down seven years ago, I just want to speak some more truth to myself about how I am capable and I, I don't have to kind of have that dooming message over me um, that, you know, we can do this motherhood thing and we can do it well and we can kind of laugh about some things, but you know, there's sort of a really like a middle ground between perfection. Yeah. We certainly don't want that message, but then on the other side, there's kind of this, or you're a mess. Yeah. (laughs) And I kind of want to find like a happy middle ground. Yeah. No, I think that one of the things that has been really important to me, especially since I started Kindred Mom, but really even before that, is just holding this role as a mother with a place of honor that it's not that it's better than anyone else in the world who maybe isn't a mom, but I just find that there is a lot of messaging that just is very disparaging about being in the role of a caretaker where you are sacrificing and giving of yourself day in and day out where you might be a mess or you might be put together, but just to see this as such an honorable, valuable thing to do with your time is to pour into the lives of children and care for others. And so I kind of relate to your sentiments about that and just wanting to give a more positive message to new moms as they enter this journey, begin this journey, that it's not it's not all a mess. There is a lot of mess, but <laughs> there's a lot of beauty in it too. Yeah. Just cause you have kind of one messy day or even a messy season, it doesn't become your identity as a mom. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you sort of answered this with that question, but I would also love to know how you have grown or changed as your kids have grown. Yeah. I would say just overall, I've definitely become more relaxed. <laughs> um, I would say I'm just able to kind of laugh about a little bit more and have a little bit more fun with it. Yeah. Certainly the kind of things that threw me for the first child. Now I can see that for better or worse, most of it is a season and we'll get through it. And yeah, I remember when my first daughter like had a little time where she stopped sleeping through the night and it was just panic. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I messed something up. She'll yeah. never sleep through the night again. Yeah. And I can see that that kind of stuff just doesn't throw me the way that it used to. Yeah. You grow more flexible and yeah. understand that things kind of move through different seasons. And yeah, I find that one of the things that has helped me over the years through having seven babies, <laughs> so many kids, just that there is no reason to kind of pronounce a forever conclusion 
out of one circumstance or even a, a season that, you know, I have one kid in particular who's especially strong-willed. And I remember feeling like he is one day going to be in prison. I just know it. <laughs> like, <laughs> just like, wow, that escalated quickly. And yeah. I just don't think we need to do that because that is not necessarily what that means. So I just caution moms about jumping to conclusions about what the small challenges or that maybe they do feel like big challenges at the time, but they don't necessarily pronounce this forever yeah. conclusion on your, on your future. So, well, uh, next question. What is the best or worst advice you have gotten about parenting? I feel like I've been pretty fortunate to mostly get some good, good little nuggets of wisdom. And I mm-hmm. think maybe if I've ever had some people say some ridiculous things, they've just flown out, flown out of my head so quickly. I can't even remember what they were, but <laughs> Um, one of the ones I got kind of early on, and this is kind of a funny story because I wasn't even meant to me. I was meant to be directed to me. I was yeah. totally eavesdropping. Um, but I was, church had ended and I was down by the nursery to pick up Charlotte and she was maybe, maybe two. Yeah. And I was standing behind two other moms. And so these two other moms were talking and I'm just listening in. Yeah. Um, and one of the moms you could tell she was a little discouraged. And so she had been called down earlier during the church service. And so, you know, if you, if you go to church, you know, like when you drop your child off, you get like a number. And then if there are any problems during the service, you know, your number gets like flashed up on the big screen at church and you kind of have to do that walk of shame and go back there. Um, And so that had happened to her. And she was just telling this other mom how she she was just discouraged that she had to come out because her son had kind of been acting up or whatever. And the other mom said to her, you know, if you let your child's behavior determine your worth as a mom, you are sunk before you even get started. Hmm. And I've just always remembered that because at that point I only had one child and she was probably just entering yeah, like I said, she's probably two. So we hadn't had a lot of extreme behavior things yet because she was still so young. But I just thought that I need to remember that because the idea of being sunk before you even start, if you're waiting for your child's behavior to validate how you're doing as a mom. Yeah. A slippery slope. Yeah. And that's so good. I thought of that one many times. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing. And last question, I'd love to know, is there anything you've been watching lately that has been just entertaining, funny, heartwarming? Yeah. Um, well, we, my husband and I are jumping on Netflix as many are right now. And um, yeah. we've been going through um, The Good Place. Uh-huh. It came to us highly recommended from many people. And so that's the one we're Fun. watching right now. Nice. I haven't seen, I've only seen like one or two episodes. I haven't got further into it. But yeah. it's kind yeah. of the one where so many people kept saying, have you seen this? Or I'd often hear people talk about it and it's been tucked back there. Like we got to watch that sometime. So. Yeah. Fun. Well, I hope you guys enjoy as that continues on. And thank you so much for being here today and for contributing to our series. You bet. Thanks for having me. It's fun.